Hey, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Nathan McGahee. I'm the student pastor here at Local Church Dawson. Uh, and I want to give you just a few facts about me so you actually know who is up here standing and talking with you this morning. First fact, uh, probably one of my favorites. I recently got engaged in May, which was awesome, to my lovely fiance, Annabeth. And we are getting married in October, so we're very, very excited about that. Um, <clears throat> number two, I'm a huge book nerd. I love reading, okay? Here's the thing. I have a lot of books, and my roommates probably would say, you have too many books because I take up a lot of space with all my books. But I tell them, hey, there's probably going to be books in heaven. So, I mean, you're saying that I can't have books? I mean, the Bible is a book, so it's going to be in heaven. So that's just, I rest my case. Uh, number three, this one you probably wouldn't be able to tell unless you know me already. You wouldn't be able to tell by my skin tone, but I used to rap, okay? I used to rap. It's a real deal. That's, that's me rapping. Uh, the, I did rap for 12 years, and I recently retired. Um, I, I say more just tired, uh, not retired. I'm, I'm more just tired of doing it. It was a good run. It was not my calling, but I really enjoyed it. I got to rap for lots and lots of students across the country, which was super fun. Uh, last thing, I love my students. I love my students. You know I had to come up here and talk about my students. I love my students. I love being able to share the gospel with them. Uh, I want them to, to hear the gospel, to know the gospel, and to be able to go out and share the gospel as well. So that's, that's my heart for students. And honestly, I have a fantastic group of students, middle school and high school. Middle school is a little more rowdy. And it's, you know, there are, I have my days where I, like, Brian, here's my two weeks. I can't do this anymore. Um, just kidding. But uh, I love my middle school students. I love my high school students. They bring me so much joy. Um, I love praying with them, making memories with them, getting excited with them, teaching them the gospel. So that's just a little bit about me. So uh, if you will just turn, if you have your Bibles with you, if you will turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we will be in verses 5 through 11. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, I'll have the verses up on the screen for you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So before we get into that, while you're turning there, uh, there's, there's a couple things to know. Okay, So when you're reading the Bible, it's important to realize that you're not reading something that was written to you. right? You're reading something that someone wrote to someone else a long time ago. So in this situation, Paul is writing to a church in Philippi, okay? So he planted this church after uh, the baptism of Lydia, plants his church in Philippi, and where he's writing from is in prison. And so that's a big deal because when you read the words that Paul is writing, it, I can't help but be amazed by the joy that he has in Christ. Because if I were in prison... I would not be writing about the joy in Christ. I would be writing about, please get me out of here, right? Like, hey, my bond's not that much. I just need to go. I just want to get out of here, right? I wouldn't be writing about Jesus Christ and, and his humility and his, and his awesomeness and all the things, right? I, I don't think most of us would unless you're holier than me. Then, you know, you need to be my mentor. But that's what Paul is writing about in this situation. So it's important to get a good understanding of what's going on when you're reading a passage. So let me read this passage for us real quick. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to just talk about you, to share your word, to, to dig into it. I pray that my words are not my words, but they are yours. Father, uh, open our hearts, open our minds to what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So kids, kids in the room, uh, I'm going to ask you a quick question. If you could be the principal of your school for one day, what would you do with it? Just think about it, okay? Think about it. What would you do? Students in the room, students in the room, if you could be the, the band director or the coach of your team, what would you do differently, right? A lot of y'all would be like, well, I'd kick off that person off the team, right? Adults, it's your turn. What would you do if I could make you the CEO of your company? What would you do if I could make you the manager or, for my office fans, assistant to the regional manager, right? What if I could do that for you, right? What would you do with that new level of authority? So, kids, what would you do if you were the principal, students? What would you do if you were the coach or the, the whatever, you know, the teacher in your classroom? And adults, what would you do if you were the CEO? Here's the thing. Here's what I believe, because I, I'm speaking for myself, so, uh, I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I think a lot of us would probably agree that we wouldn't always use that new authority for the benefit of others. We would probably use a lot of it to get what we want, like immediately firing that person, right? We all have that person that we work with, I know. So I don't think all of us would, would necessarily use it 100% of the time for the benefit of other people, to make sure that people are taken care of, right? Now, some of the kids may be thinking, well, I give free ice cream every day, and that is for the benefit of others. So do that. That's great. But I don't think, at least for myself, I don't think we would all use it for the benefit of others. But here's what we see in Philippians 2. Here's what we're going to talk about. Jesus had the ultimate authority. He had the ultimate positional and personal authority, authority with God. He's more than just a CEO. He's more than just the principal. He's more than any of that. He is literally the king of kings, the lord of lords of heaven and earth. He had the ultimate personal and positional authority over everything. Personal meaning he literally was in perfect communion with God. I don't have time to go into the theology of the Trinity, but... We know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all perfectly three persons in one, right? They are, they are perfectly in communion with each other. Positional meaning that he literally is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is over everything in heaven and on earth. Everything. And what he did with his personal and positional authority. I mean, he, Jesus even said it himself, Matthew 28, 18. He says, everything, 
all authority or power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he knows it. And instead, what he does with his authority is exactly the opposite of what we would do with that authority. And that's why it's a perfect example that's worth following. Jesus gives us this countercultural example worth following. Well, what he did with this authority, like I said, was the exact opposite. Why? Because we live in a culture of self-promotion, right? We live in a culture of achievement, of make more money, make more, get, get more things, have more accolades, that climb the ladder. That's, that's the culture that we live in. So that culture, and I can, I can prove this to you, because if you go to any bookstore, just go to any bookstore, go to the business section. In fact, I actually did this, okay? Go to the business section, or really any other section, and you'll find book titles like these book titles, okay? Here's the first one. Big, these are real, okay? These are real. Big Money Energy, How to Rule at Work, Dominate at Life, and Make Millions. That's a real book title. Second one. Some of you may know this title, and I'm not trying to rip on this person, but I won't say names. Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living at Your Full Potential. Third one, this is a real title. This is it. Think and Grow Rich. That's a type, that's, this is the culture that we live in. Think and grow rich. Just don't work, don't try, just think, and you'll be rich. That's the title of that book. So when I say that Jesus did the exact opposite of what we would have done, it's because of the culture that we live in. It's because of the sinful nature that we have. He used his authority in a completely different way. Now, a lot of us, I think, probably first thought, okay, well, if I was given CEO, if I was given, if I was the boss, if I was this, if I were that, I would do it differently than my boss did. Okay, I think, I mean, that's, that's fine. But I don't think that 100% of the time you'd get it right. I don't think 100% of the time you would use it for selfless motives. But we see Jesus do exactly that. Jesus Christ displayed the ultimate example of humility. This is what we see. Jesus Christ displayed the ultimate example of humility. How did he do this? Well, he released his personal and his positional equality and authority with God. He released it so that he could become a servant and die a death that you deserved, that I deserved. And so what that does is it encourages us and it guides us in actually considering others' interests first. So Jesus Christ displayed the ultimate example of humility. Now, if you look down at your Bible, look at this passage, Philippians 2. Here's, we didn't read verses 3 and 4, so let me read verses 3 and 4 for you because it it's kind of necessary for some context of what we're going to go into. So we can break this passage down into verses 3 and 4. And then we use verse 5 as kind of a bridge into the rest of the passage, and I'll explain that. This is what verse 3 and 4 says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Raise your hand if you've got that nailed. 
Oh, I got one hand. You're awesome. I don't think any of us have nailed that. But then verse 5 says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, darn. Paul, Paul's telling the, the church of Philippi, hey, do all these things because you have that mindset, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then we see in verses 6 through 8, we see the humility of Christ. I won't reread it. We'll dig into it. But you see the humility of Christ. And then verses 9 through 11, you see the exaltation of Christ. So the humility of Christ and then the exaltation of Christ. So let's, let's work on the humility of Christ first. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God. Let me stop there. Though he was in the form of God. This, that word form can trip people up. That word form does not mean that Jesus was just a, uh, a hologram or a ghost version of God. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. 100%, 100%. He was not 50-50. He was fully God, fully man. And that's extremely important as we move forward. Because then it says this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Another way to say that, did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, a thing to be taken advantage of. So, fully God, fully man, and he chooses to not take advantage of it. That's, that's amazing. That's absolutely powerful. Now, he had the ultimate, I've said this again. He had the ultimate authority, and what he did instead, what that says, what he did instead was relinquish his authority as God for the sake of you, for the sake of me. To die a death where he was absolutely sinless, not a thought of sin came through his mind, absolutely blemish-free. Up on the cross, he could have just snapped his finger and been perfectly fine off the cross and just shown everybody up, said, look what I can do. I'm God and you're not. But instead, he relinquished his authority for the sake of you. Well, how did he do this? Verse 7 says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That word empty, let's stop there for a second, but emptied himself. This does not mean that Jesus emptied himself of being God. That's, that's kind of the natural reading, that inclination, I, I get it. He did not empty himself of being God. Because if he emptied himself of being God, then he was just man, right? And if he was just man, then most, if not all, of Scripture is completely washed out. No, he emptied himself in a different way. So he didn't become not God, because here's the thing. If Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. If Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, he can't change. And if he can't change, then how can he become not God? So he didn't empty himself of being God. Uh, this, I love this quote. This is a guy named John Barry. You may or may not know him. That's totally fine. But I love what he said, okay? This is what he says about that, but emptied himself. I love this. He says, Jesus laid aside his rights as God in order to become the world's servant. 
That's so good. Let me read that again. Jesus laid aside his rights as God in order to become the world's servant. I asked our middle schoolers and our high schoolers a question, and this is, I loved it. I asked them this question. I said, if I gave you $100 right now, how would you spend it? This is what I asked them. Sent out a text. I want to give you the top five answers that I got. Number five. These are great. Currently, it would be set aside to a car fund for me to buy my first car. That's pretty solid. Whoever's parents that they have, great job. Number four, with it getting pretty close, I'd use it for college. That's good. So not a middle schooler. Uh, I'd tithe, then probably, see, that's so good, even better. I'd tithe, then probably use it to help pay for tuition and just put it with my savings. Solid. Great stuff. Number three. I would thank you a lot. First of all, none of them thanked me except this guy. I just gave you $100. Come on now. I would thank you a lot and save the money in case I want to buy something later on. Okay. Saving. I see a lot of saving. That's good stuff. Number two. I love this. Keep in mind, the the question that I asked was, if I gave you $100 right now, how would you spend it? This is the answer I got. I would have $100. Okay, true. But you didn't answer the question at all, okay? I asked how would you spend it, not would you have it, because, yes, I just gave it to you. So, uh, top answer, number one. I would tithe 10%, invest 25% into various stocks, (laughs) deposit 40% into the bank, and use the remaining 25% for gas, easy. He ended it with the word easy. This man said, invest into various stocks. This is a high schooler, okay? This man is beyond what I could ever have thought. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. Um, but here's the thing that you probably may have caught. Here's the thing that I caught. None of them said that they would give it all away. Some of them said they would tithe. That's good. 10%. None of the, put it in the savings, right? Uh, invest into various stocks. But none of them said that they would give it all away. Now, this is not me bashing on my students, because I have great students. And here's the thing. I don't think I would have said, give it all away. I really don't. I mean, I don't think most of us would say immediately, first thought, natural instinct, I would give it all away. Now, some of you may have, and that's great, but... Our natural instinct is not to give away everything that we have. Our natural instinct is not to be given something and just turn around and give it back. So imagine if I would have asked you, instead of just $100, hey, what if I could give you the keys to the kingdom? What if I could give you authority over heaven and earth? Then what would you do with it? Some of y'all would pull a Thanos and snap your enemies away, right? And be like, I'm, see you later, all of my enemies. 50% of the world's gone now, so that means I have less enemies. But let's look instead at what Jesus did when he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. Look at verse 8. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's the thing. Jesus became a man, died, you know, 
He didn't deserve to die, he, but he died anyways to save you. But here's the thing. If the story stops at his death, we are toast. If the story stops there, Jesus dies and it's over, and he doesn't come back to life, there is no reason for you to be sitting in these seats. There's no reason for me to be standing up here talking to you. There's no reason for it. Because if Jesus didn't resurrect, then he's a liar. But here's the good news. Three days later, we know the story. Three days later, he resurrects. God brings him back to life, resurrects him, and at that point has defeated death and defeated your sins. And so then we look at verses 9 through 11. We see this idea of humiliation, this humility turning into exaltation, which is a common theme in Scripture. Uh, Jesus teach, uh, teaches about it, Matthew 23, 12. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's the prime example of practicing what you preach. Jesus says it, he teaches it, and then he does it. He humbles himself to be exalted. Another example, Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. That passage is pointing to Jesus. Isaiah, the prophet, is pointing to the suffering servant who would die and then resurrect and be exalted. Hebrews 1, 3 says this. After making purifications for sins, he sat down, Jesus, at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is worth nothing less than our worship and obedience. He is worth nothing less than our worship and our obedience. Because whether you like it or not, we can read it. Verse, uh, verse 10, I believe. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So whether you believe in Jesus now or you don't, either way, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he did exactly what we wouldn't do with that level of authority. He humbled himself and accepted the wrath of God so that you wouldn't have to. Because if the wages of sin is death, last time I checked, I've sinned every day of my life. If the wages of sin is death, then you deserve to die. You deserve to go to hell. I know that's hard to hear. I deserve to go to hell for the sins that I've committed. But the good news is, is that's not the end of the story. We have a God who became man, became flesh, lived a perfect life, died, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the cross is one of the most humiliating ways to die. And he did it for us. Now, if you were to leave, after listening to this, if you were to leave and say, all right, awesome. I'm going to go be more humble because I love Jesus even more now. That's great. Here's the thing. You're going to last like a few days. If that. 
right? If you were to leave, if you were to walk out, and your takeaway is this was a, a, a seminar on how to be more humble, I have failed you. That's not the point of this passage at all. This is not a three-step how to be more humble, you know, stop talking about yourself, you know, talk about other people. Like, this is, not, this is not that. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage and what I believe where we should start, I think affection for Jesus, for who he is and what he did is where we should start. Humility is recognizing that you're not humble. Because here's what we do. We project our holiness onto other people. We say, oh, I'm, I'm more holier than them. I'm more humble than them. But as soon as you take your holiness and compare it to God, then you realize how wretched you are. Then you realize how much you have failed. Then you realize how much sin is in your life. And so because of what Jesus did, because he saved us from our sin, he is worth the worship. He is worth the obedience. And I love this quote by a guy named William Temple. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury in 1942 through 1944. This is what he said. There is nothing big enough to hold a man's soul in detachment from the center of himself through all the occupations of life except the majesty of God and his love. Check this out. And it is in worship, worship given to God because he is God, that man will learn, will most learn, the secret of real humility. Here's the rub. Verses, verse 5 says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? So that, that whole, you remember the, uh, the whole self-interest thing? Like, hey, don't put, put other people first. You remember that? Verses 3 and 4. Well, have that mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You remember the Christ Jesus that died for your sins, that was beaten, spat on, humiliated? Do you remember that? Have that mindset. Be that humble. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying we must be that humble. But if we're honest with ourselves, if you just, just take a second with me, be honest with yourself. We can't do that. We can't. We can't do it if we don't have Jesus. There's no point in trying. We must be humble, but we can't be humble. But because of our union with Christ, because he died and sent his Holy Spirit for us to, to be sanctified by, meaning to, to become more and more like Jesus because of the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to journey through this life and become more and more and more like Jesus. That wouldn't be the case if Jesus hadn't died and resurrected. But because of that, we will be humble because we have Jesus living inside of us because we have the Holy Spirit. We must be humble, but we can't unless we have Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we will. Think about it this way. And I'm going to close with this. Think about it like, uh, like a baby. 
for moms and dads out there. Your baby needed your attention all the time. They needed you to feed them. They needed you to clean up the poopy pants, right? They needed you for literally everything. That is dependence. We're, it's funny because this is it's July 4th. We're celebrating independence, right? That's a different kind of independence. Independence is not going to work in your faith. It requires full dependence on Jesus. The same way that a baby depends fully on his or her parents, we must fully depend on Jesus. Because without him, we are nothing. Without him, we are nothing. And so we must fully depend on Jesus. It looks like, well, I mean, what, what does that look like to fully depend on? It, it looks like in every area of your life, you're just saying, God, I can't do this without you. I need you. And here's the thing. If you want to walk out with a, I'm going to be more humble, here's what, here's what I would recommend. Rely on Jesus. Because I don't know anything more humble than full dependence on someone else. So I've asked Brittany and Patrick to come up here. Here's what we're going to do. They're just going to sing with their voices and the guitar. No band, no nothing else. And we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to worship the God who became a man, lived a perfect life, and was beaten and humiliated for no reason except to save you. That's the God that we're going to worship with this last song. So I want this time to be you and the Lord. I don't want you looking at the next person. Like, well, they're not singing. No, their eyes aren't closed. Their hands aren't up. Worship how you need to worship. It's all the same God that we're worshiping. So take this time, this last song that we have together, take this time between you and the Lord to just say, I need you. God, I need you. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we need you. We are absolutely hopeless without you. God, we, we sin and we go against your word every single day. But God, you still love us. You still care. You still want a relationship with us. You still sent your son to die for us, to defeat death once and for all so that we can spend eternity with you. God, we are so undeserving. But we are so, so grateful for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.